welcome to the Think Kingdom podcast. I am Marcus Looney, the creative arts director here at Think Kingdom. We want to welcome you into another week in a filter seen through the kingdom lens. So let's go ahead and jump in, see what God's word has for us with our lead pastor, Antoine Lasseter. Neck deep in the Beatitudes. I think this may be week six. And so we, we, we got a lot of ground to cover. But, I, but by way of quick review, I'm going to need for you to talk back with me. Uh, poor in spirit. When you're poor in spirit, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So then he, then he talks, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Guess what? They will be filled. And then uh, last week we spoke about blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So uh, still walking through this progression, which, which we're going to be we're going to land on blessed are the poor in heart. Does uh, anyone know the uh, the promise that God has given to those who are pure in heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for what? For they shall see God. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to see God. And so Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus is the disruptor. Jesus is that dude. Jesus like comes on the scene and turns over tables, but he also turns over the tables of our heart. The challenge, bro and sisters, is that sin causes so many problems. We don't like talking about sin, ironically, in the church. But sin is the opposite of God and good. Sin causes us to miss the mark. So in Matthew um, chapter 24, verse 12, the scripture says, as sin increases, people's love will grow cold. So sin is selfish. It's an unbelief in who God is. John chapter 16, verse 8 Eight, uh, Jesus says, when the Comforter comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they, meaning the world, do not believe in me. The New Living Translation says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in Jesus. Hmm. And so here's the problem with sin. Uh, first of all, there's a desire to do it. If sin wasn't pleasurable, you probably won't do it. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not giving you much revelation. The reason why we sin is because we like to. Okay, uh, okay, so. Nope, not going to go there. It breaks sin, breaks my fellowship with God. My sin may be done in secret, but it's never private. Sin affects us all. 
Numbers. When I was a kid, and I used, well, I still sin. I'm a, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But my grandfather preached one time from Numbers 32 and 23, and I just got away with something. And my grandfather stood on that pulpit, and I thought he was talking to me. He actually pointed in my direction. He said, you may be sure that your sin going to find you out. And I was like, oh, my God. And so there's guilt from sin. We know what we did. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And then there's the bondage from, the bondage from sin. It's like you're a hamster in this, this, this hamster wheel. You keep going and going, so it's a trap. And then to fix it, uh, we try to find ways to mitigate its impact. And then for some, it's avoidance altogether. We just don't talk about it. So we are motivated by the avoidance of pain or the pursuit of pleasure. And that becomes our existence. We play lottery tickets. Listen, lottery ticket was a billion dollars a few weeks ago. I was standing in the gas station, and I said, Lord, I hear you. That's a billion dollars. You know what I could do with a billion dollars? Okay, I don't know where that came from. Okay, so um, Jesus steps into our lives proclaiming a different way, the pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of pain, and then from a handful of, two handfuls of laws, man produces over 600 laws. From 10, man produces over 600. Because it's the tendency that when we miss it, we try to correct it, and it leads us to so many different paths that we eventually become prisoners of our own doing. In other words, instead of repenting and turning back, it's, I'm just going to talk to the kids. It's like when you tell one lie, you got to tell another one, and before you know it, you're suffocating in lies. Grown-ups don't do this. The kids are like, they don't? <laughs> no. They, well, talk to your parents. So if we could just work harder or perform better, then peace would be ours. But that's not how it works. So we go from inspirational message to inspirational message, feeling good for the moment, and then we find ourselves back to square one. The sin seems stronger than the remedy. And so we are in this suffocating condition, and emotions now become guides instead of gauges. So now we're led by our emotions, and we do what we feel, and we become what we constantly think about. So Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, which the Beatitudes is a small section of a bigger sermon, uh, Jesus doesn't start his teaching with telling us what to do or what to be. He begins telling us how happy Christ's followers will be. Ain't that something? Because we are wired to do. And he starts with, this is how happy you're going to be. Because being is the foundation of our Christian journey. Being precedes doing. Bad English, but we be, then we do. And often we want to do before we become. 
And when you do before you become, now you're looking for the accolades that give you that peace by because you do. The hardest thing for most of us to do is to just sit. Even in moments that I believe that God just wants to cut the music and let's just sit in silence, it's hard. It's like my thoughts, I, I got to do something. Even in times of worship, sometimes it's just sitting in his presence. And Siri is trying to talk to me. That's the devil. Okay, so being. We become first. Jesus is giving us a clinic on the kingdom, but it's hard to take it all in when we define what happiness is by the world's standard. So Jesus says in John 10.10, a thief comes only to steal, kill, uh, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus has come so that we may have life in a way that outside of him we could never experience. But what Jesus offers, brothers and sisters, is counterculture. It goes against the grain. He says, if you want to be full, you must be empty. It's counterculture. So because of my sin, God, through Christ, has to deconstruct us in order to reconstruct us into his image. The sin problem we can't fix, and that's why Jesus comes, because reconstruction, according to the kingdom, occurs inside first and is seen outward by others. But remember, it's counterculture, so we can look the part and look godly and say godly things, and that's why Matthew 7 jumps in and says, I don't know you. You did, you were doing things in my name, but depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because doing doesn't mean much to God. It's being. And we have churches, this one included, that we have to be careful that we just don't start doing as if that's a testament to our faithfulness to God. That's, man, that's a bunch of organizations that are feeding people that don't name the name of Christ. What separates God's people from the world? About to get there. So poor in spirit, the kingdom is theirs. Mourners, you're going to be comforted. The meek inherits the earth. The poor in spirit doesn't speak of aggression and strength. It speaks of this brokenness that we have. Everything goes against culture. And the counterculture leads to conflict. We're, we're literally about to enter, and once you do all these things, Jesus basically throws a wet blanket on us and says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Whoa! Wait, I was feeling the kingdom. I was really feeling the hair of the earth. And then when the moments that I, my brokenness are brought to me, I'm going to be comforted. But what about this persecution thing? You, as believers, it's the whole package. Oh. See, persecution comes because of righteousness, not because of your political affiliation. 
uh, persecution is supposed to come from, not because you support this organization. We are the children of God. He is our father. So when we speak, when Jesus speaks of persecution, he's talking about citizenship in the kingdom, not the country. Citizens of the kingdom. This process is ongoing. None of us, please say this with me, none of us have arrived. I have not mastered this. No, none. Uh, But to enter in the kingdom, according to Jesus, we must become poor in spirit, mourn over our sins, others' sin, and the effects that sin has on our world. This keeps us humble and causes us to want more and more of God. That gives me hunger. It gives me thirst because I realize that sin is suffocating. It's so suffocating to me that the only person that can eradicate or eliminate or destroy it is Christ. And so I want more. We want more and more of God knowing that we deserve judgment. And we are grateful for the Lord's mercy. And mercy comes to us and flows from us. That's what mercy is. Do you see the beauty in all of this? That we become rivers of mercy instead of lakes of resentment. That we hold on and mercy is supposed to flow through us. But as as soon as somebody does something or they're on the opposite side, we uh, uh, become prideful in our judgment. No, we are rhythms of mercy. We no longer hold on to, but we release. And the rhythms that the prior Beatitudes create, they become the prerequisite for the next verse. I've mentioned this before. We do not isolate scriptures to make it say what we want it to say. Very important. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Man, what a promise. They will see God. I submit to you that humanity has always searched for and have found itself little g gods. Gods that overpromise and underdeliver. Gods that promise this world and its trinkets and its shiny objects. But Jesus in this verse says, you will see God. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And because of humanity's sin, remember, that's how we started talking about sin, that humanity tries to wrestle in its attempt to see God by building idols, statues, statues, and construct these images to gods, to its gods. But Jesus says they will see God, the pure in spirit, pure in heart. Okay, so let me give you a little Greek. The, the Greek word for uh, pure is katharos. It means free from dirt, unsought, no impurities, genuine. But whoa, 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 pastor, you just talked about our sins. Now I feel bad. That how we are in bondage to it. How can I have a pure heart? I want to see God. I do. But, but how... Do I see God if you led your opening your sermon up with eight minutes of talking about sin? It seems to contradict itself. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. 
Because the first step is to receive Christ as Lord. It is by his sacrifice on the cross that we are made clean. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. I see my own brokenness. So spiritual poverty is a pathway to purity. In other words, in order to become clean, something else must become dirty. So 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I grew up in a day where there were no such thing as automatic uh, car washes. So in order for you to wash your car, you had to do it by hand. I know, newsflash kids, you literally had to do it by hand. The car would be dirty, and you have a washcloth. And you will fill it with this detergent and in a bucket, and you will be out there doing it with your hand. In order for that car to be clean, the dirt had to be transferred from the car to the washcloth. And so you would dump the washcloth into the bucket, repeat the process over and over. Once in a while, you would have to dump the bucket because the bucket would become so filthy that now what was transferred, what was on the washcloth is now in the water. And now what was in the water now is transferred back to the car. And so in order for it to be effective, you had to literally wash it in the spirit. I mean, wash it with water and the container had to, had to be able to empty itself from all the contaminants. If the car wanted to remain clean because of the course of life, life has a way of getting you dirty. So you had to repeat the process over and over and over. That is sanctification. So what we are literally saying as believers, Christ is Lord. So I am taking the posture of David. Wash me. Wash me clean. In Psalms chapter 51, verse number one, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. That's why when David has been confronted with his sin, verse number two, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. But check this out in verse number three, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. There are times when we are reminded of our sins, but we get to have the posture of David. Wash me of my, my sin. Verse number seven, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. If we want to have a pure heart, it's not our works, it's not our deeds, it's our posture that wash me clean. Wash, wash me. Verse number 10. And everybody, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit or the right spirit. In me, but I did. I'm like Brother Tony, I did a word study, and that steadfast literally means loyal. So let me read it with this attendant meaning God create a clean heart for me and renew a loyalty spirit, a loyal spirit within me. Why? Because every time I sin, I'm rebelling against God. And so I'm moved, not because, man, sin has its effects. Sin is seen in our communities. Sin is seen in brokenness. Sin is seen in all these places. But the intent of my sin is to rebel against God. So God, cleanse me. 
Strip me of my pride. Help me to see my own brokenness. Every unrestrained, misguided passion. Wash me, Jesus. From every desire that pleases you, wash me. Help me want more and more of you. Fill me with your presence and your power. Help me to love you with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, and help me to love others. Wash me, Jesus, because outward actions cannot produce eternal inner benefits. You can't all outwork your sin. And you can't work, we can't work our way into righteousness. It is given to us and must be accepted. Anybody out there that cries of your heart is, Lord, wash me. Wash me. I've been rebelling against you. Wash me. In order to become clean, something else must become dirty. Number two, conviction and confession go hand in hand. Acknowledge the conditions of your heart. Purification occurs when conviction and confession remain a part of us. Remember, the heart is the center of emotions and life and everything created around it. That's why Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. What? Who can understand it? We cannot make ourselves pure. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Conviction, I need for y'all to write this down. Conviction reminds us that the presence of God is with us. When you do wrong and you feel bad about it, praise the Lord. Because that's God's Holy Spirit convicting you. What is the difference between conviction and condemnation? I'm glad you asked. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it drives us to God. When the enemy condemns us, it drives us away from God. Conviction is the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's presence. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father. He would give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Oftentimes, say, yeah, bear with me because it's getting good to me. Conviction leads us to confession. First John chapter 1 verse 8 through 10, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. So we, there's, there's no need to boast in the outward signs of a godly life because God is concerned with our inner workings. And sometimes the restlessness of wanting to be used by God and, and that waiting in the wilderness to be used, our true intent is sometimes discovered. In other words, he reveals ourselves to ourselves when what we want is delayed. We discover who we are when what we've been praying for we don't get. 
And then sometimes we get what we are praying for, and it's disastrous. There's a, a, a YouTube clip of a kid. You may have seen it. It's the funniest thing in the world. Mom is baking, and she's using baking chocolate. And so the kid keeps begging and begging and begging mom that he wants chocolate. She says, dear, this is not the type of chocolate that you think it is. He pouts and pouts some more. So she says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. So the kid's like three or four years old, gets a big spoonful of this powder and eats it. He can't even swallow it. He's sitting there, and it starts coming out of his nose. It starts coming out of the mouth. You got to be careful because we become like spoiled children, and we want it, and we want it, and it leads us to entitlement, and then we got to have it, and then before we know it, the very thing that we have been craving for is poison. And so there are times that God, in his sovereignty, he knows what's best for us, and we have to wait. Man, if you would have hooked up with the first guy, okay. The third thing, spiritual rhythms. Peer and heart, spiritual rhythms. I'm going to go over this real quick. Daily prayer, reading God's word, surrendering, surrendering to God's will. These are the spiritual rhythms. Uh, remember I said in Blessed Are the Meek that prideful people don't pray. There's no need. You got it. Prideful people, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, uh, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, daily prayer. The second is reading God's word. Psalms, number one, verse one through two, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, will stand in the pathway with sinners, will sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. It's hard to do what God wants you to do when you don't know what he wants you to do. And what he wants you to do is contained in his word. So the first thing is daily prayer, reading God's word. And these are not an exhaustive list. Um, and the third thing is surrendering to God's will. So if you can't or you won't or you don't do the first two, it's going to be hard to surrender to God's will. So we got to attack these thoughts. We got to attack condemnation. We have to attack this, these, these things that um, influence us. We have to be very intentional. So we have to create these intentional moments with God, making room, giving space, and we become intentional until it becomes intuitive. That out of this, when trouble comes, and it will, that I can take the reservoir of all his word that's in me and speak to that challenge or speak to that situation to settle my own heart. Number four, this is arguably one of the most challenging ones. Number four, accept the trials and hardships. Pure in heart. Understand that God knows your heart, and re we receive what he allows huh, to help correct it. Fire, in Proverbs 17 and 3, says, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. 
1 Peter 1, you got to look at Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 1 and 6, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I need for you to be encouraged that we may want to run from the fire, but God will follow us into it. So this is what Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on, completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. Purity isn't the absence of certain things. It's actually the overwhelming presence and influence of God. So when Jesus brings this to the forefront, uh, all of the others seem to be pretty straightforward in some regards. The poor in spirit um, recognizes the brokenness and their spiritual bankruptcy. It begins the journey. Those who mourn align their hearts with God and then grieve over sin. In other words, we want nothing to do with it. The meek surrender their own strength and their will to God, and we choose to submit to God's design and discipline. God gives us his righteousness and makes us hunger and thirsty for more, and the Holy Spirit begins working in and through us. The merciful take after the Father, who's the Father of mercies, and become rich in mercy, receiving it and giving it freely. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. He promises that those hearts, those whose hearts are pure and undefiled by this world, will see Jesus. That's the promise. But I want to show you what I believe is the progression of what he is saying when he says they will see God. It's, it's hearing the gospel, responding to it, making a decision to follow Jesus, following Jesus through the valley and the mountains, and something stirring in them when they heard Jesus speak. It was unlike any one that they have experienced in times past. So it starts off as a curiosity, somewhat of a it starts off really innocent. Jesus is in the bottom of the boat. Things are happening. There's storms and winds. And they've been hanging out with Jesus for a minute now, so they've seen some things. And, and then he gets out, and they wake him up, and, he, and he, he says, peace be still. Matthew chapter 8, peace be still, and the winds calm. And the disciples look at each other and say, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Very slowly, they're beginning to see Jesus in a different way. They heard about God, and they walked, 21st century, they walked down the aisle, or they were in the cars or somewhere, and they were moved by something greater than themselves. The person that became a Christ follower heard the message. And that message, unlike many that they have heard, gave them a new perspective. 
something was stirring in their hearts. And their heart's cry was, what must I do to be saved? They just had a snapshot, but something that was abstract was becoming real. And then they heard about Jesus' exploits, and, and, or maybe they came from another way in terms of they heard about um, how Jesus set this person free and Jesus set that person free. And their response was like John chapter 12, verse 21. Sir, we want to see Jesus. The pastor's cool. The elders are cool. The worship team, they banging. But I, we want to see Jesus. Let's just move past all the formalities, and we want to see Jesus. Jesus says, they will see God. This progression of the initial hearing of the gospel, responding to it, the awakening, leads us to Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Now I'll close on this. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. This journey, pure in heart, Pure in heart sees Jesus. The pure in heart becomes aware, brokenness, poor in spirit. I want to, I want to help you see the progression. That's why I'm beating this horse. I'm, 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 I'm repeating myself. The poor, in, poor in heart begins with being poor in spirit, recognizing my own brokenness, becoming overwhelmed by my own brokenness, and mourning over the fact that I feel defeated. And then the scripture says that they will be comforted. So I'm comforted knowing that I can be saved. That leads me. That leads me to now the humility of I can't save myself. I can't save others. I can't save my family. Blessed are those who are humble. Those who are meek for they shall inherit the earth. That the more I show my humility, the counterculture, and the more I operate in history, if they're not my own, I become humble and overwhelmed by that he gets to you. He uses me in so many different areas or uses us, but it's not about us. It's his glory. And then, and then I become hunger. I become more hungrier and thirstier for him. That the more I see his holiness, the more I see my wretchedness, the more I see his holiness, the more I see my wretchedness, it's like I become more hunger, hungry and thirsty for him. So I bathe myself in his word. It's not about the building, it's about the people of God. And we exchange our experience with God. It's we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I, we begin to build our lives with him being at the center. So he merges races. He merges political affiliations and he destroys it. And he is now the center. 
And the thing that the world wants to drag us apart with is the very thing that God uses to show the world another way. And, 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 and now the merciful, we just give mercy now. It's you cannot serve God and want to attack people. That's why it's counterculture. He says if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. That's strength. The world sees it as weakness. So now if you have to carry the bags of your enemy for a mile, Jesus says carry it for two. Because I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to show you a better way. So he says, I want you to show mercy. But what if they don't deserve it? You didn't. It's mercy. Dude, one of the scriptures that I think about that hurts me while I was yet sinning, he, I, I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for the answer. And in looking for the answer, I found God. And what I'm seeing in this church is people that we have to have that brokenness of heart where we mourn beyond the four walls of this church and, we drag, and we're driving past people that don't know Jesus. Jesus arrested me a few, a few weeks ago when there was a homeless lady in a part in the church and she had a small tent. And I was sitting in the car and I'm like, Lord, what? I don't know how to help her. I, son, Settle yourself. Walk to the front door. I said, ma'am, can we help you? She said, I don't have time for games. If you don't have a house to put me in, you can't help me. I took it personal. And I was, and, and I'm trying to fix it in my own head. And I said, ma'am, you're right want to use our bathroom you want to and she had these two dogs with her she cleaned, she cleaned her, 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 her stuff and she says I'm just traveling didn't mean to cause any problems you're not causing us any problems I'll be up shortly I said you don't have to can I give you food can I give you and I'm just thinking about the tangible things that I can give her to make myself feel better about trying to help her. You know what I did? I just said a prayer. Lord, if it's your will, never let me again be unable to help. Whatever that means, the pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see God. And it's not just seeing Jesus but it's seen the Imago Day, the God in others. Why would Jesus say that you, you, you the least of these? The Matthew, he said that if, how you treat the least of these, some of us have entertained angels unaware. What that reminds us that we have to see the God in even the most wretched person because our assumption is that we are less wretched than they are. As parents, we see, when we raise our kids up, we see in our kids things that we have not 
reconciled in our own hearts. And you know how difficult it is to try to speak out, in, to speak the thing out in your kids that's, that's in you and how simple the answers are. But yet, if you're honest, you struggle with the same thing. You just got more time and more years. And I look at scripture and Jesus in John chapter, ah, family, John chapter 14, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. And so there are times in our lives where we, we are literally feeding over the food box. We're praying over the food boxes and asking God, let this be a seed. And let this be for the nourishment of their bodies. But Lord, let this be a seed. So if they're open for the gospel, we share it. But if they're not, we still share it. I mean, we still uh, appreciate them in love. And what we're realizing is that we may not see the impact but we are supposed to be seeds. There's so many people that I'm talking to that are hurt by the institutional church, the, the church. And I know, well, you get hurt on your job and you still go to work. That's not love. Love is walking with people, praying for people, having a burden for people. I wish this church would be the last church to share politics before the gospel. We share the love of God. And as God is dealing with us, with me, about addressing issues, it should flow from the gospel. Whatever issue that we address, it flows from the gospel. It flows from the gospel. Because if we want to see God and maintain that pure in heart, we see the progression of the Beatitudes, the blessings, the Beatitude, the attitude that we should have. And it leads us to having a pure heart that we have not earned, but has been given. That was Pastor Antoine going more in-depth in the Beatitudes. He had a beautiful illustration of a dirty car and a white rag and how Jesus is the rag that became sin and washed our sins away. If you or someone you know is blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. Again, we want to welcome our new friends turned family to Think Kingdom. And if you haven't, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back, hear this message and so much more exclusive content right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.